Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share, she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, down there, sexual and reproductive health, the wise woman way. And abundantly well, seven medicines, the wise woman way. The newest book in the wise woman herbal series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Knees, a cancer diagnosis, adaptogens for long life, and abundantly well companion course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's See what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Sarah Ellen. Hi, Susan. How are you doing this evening? Staying warm. It's six degrees outside. Oh, I hear you. We just are. We're just coming off of zero ourselves. It's cold. <laughs> 
Oh, how wonderful. I like it. I really like yeah. the cold. The way the, yeah, I like to feel that kind of desire to like tense against the cold and how that shuts down my circulation. Mm. It's really interesting to me to find the ways to kind of relax into it, to trust it, and to open up to it. And then my circulation is better and I'm warmer. Nice. Yeah. And nice. It was a really sunny and not too breezy day, so it felt much warmer than the actual temperatures out of the thermometer. Oh, that makes a difference. Yeah, we had one of those sunny days and one of the windy where the wind chill was way into the minuses. And what a difference the sun is. It's actually pretty nice. I kind of want to just, like you said, open up to it and been called to like sit on the ground even, lay on the ground and just feel it. Um, Mm. Yeah. Mm. (laughs) Wonderful, wonderful. (laughs) Yeah. What did you do in the time that we had off? Ooh, what did we do? Well, we, I, um, the animals pretty much just did stuff around the farm, um, been enjoying greens that we put up for the winter. I'm so grateful to have all the veggies and the sauce and stuff that we put so much energy into um, harvesting and cooking up. So we've been enjoying good food. Uh, we made a stop by the local farm here and picked up a bunch of um, locally raised meats. So been cooking up some good soup recipes, um, eating more beans, it seems like, lately. Been playing around with different um, like lentil soups and stuff like that and broths and, yeah, mostly being in the kitchen or the barn. <laughs> Kitchen or the barn, all right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, how about you? I've been writing to correspondence course students. Wonderful to be able to be out of the pace of Tuesday nights and Wednesday nights being committed and to feel that openness of, you know, asking myself, wow, what do you really want to do? And it's like, I want to write um, to these women who've written to me, and I want to call the ones who haven't written to me and say, come on, write to me. And well, I've been doing mm-hmm. a lot of that. Yeah. Lovely. I really enjoy long-term relationships that the correspondence services provide us without a sense of stress or pressure or, oh, you have to do this or you have to do it by a certain time. There's no no time limit of any kind in the correspondence course. As far as I'm concerned, you know, the plants are the plants, and they've been telling us the same thing for hundreds, if not thousands, tens of thousands of years. Mm. Like if you were transported back 10,000 years, you would still recognize the weeds. Yes. It's such a connection. It's the, like the thread, a, a living magical threads that, yeah, the plants 
hold it all together within that. Yeah, it's amazing. It's it's timeless. It's absolutely mm-hmm. timeless. So it to me behooves me to have learning about them be timeless and slow. Because mm. the general pace of plants is pretty slow. Mm. So, you know how people make New Year's resolutions? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. What I usually do is I decide what my hobby horse is going to be that year. And the term hobby horse I was introduced to when I was at UCLA. And it's kind of like... Um, The thing you go on and on about. Everybody has a hobby horse, right? Right. Yeah. Right. When they start in on that, you think, oh, yeah, right, that's her thing, right? So um, I don't don't know where it came from, but I like it. Because it's like that sense, you know, of like you're writing and writing and writing. You're not getting anywhere, but you're writing and writing and writing on the hobby horse. Hmm? So my hobby horse... Um, it's always something that I know that that I will pretty much not get anywhere with. Nonetheless, it's enjoyable to ride your hobby horse. Mm. And so, mine is the um, the misuse of the word evolve and evolution. Oh wow! Interesting. Because evolution, uh, first of all does not in any way imply better. Right, right. Right? So when people say, oh, well, it's an evolutionary, you know, time we're in, like, (laughs) I'm supposed to think that's, like, going to make it better? That's the inference (laughs) there, right? Mm. Or some some people people talking about... Right, about evolutionary astrology, which helps the individual to evolve. And I'm like, evolution doesn't occur within an individual. Mm-hmm. Right? Evolution, talk about slow. Right. Real slow. Really slow. And it's it's often movements that are actual evolution and evolutionary are when, often are when things that are different get together and work together. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's how we got from an amoeba to us, right? Right. Right? Lots of things. And, and our DNA has stretches of viral DNA in it that are very important <clears throat> in making us human. Right. So fascinating. Amazing, but so true. So our, yeah. evo- our actual evolution had to do with if you will, being infected by a virus. Mm. Mm-hmm. Having that virus be introduced to us in any way at all. 
So in that evolution, what is truly evolution is that life is constantly adapting itself to make the most of what's available to it. Mm-hmm. And that if there's... Um, predator on the life that that will often be something that um, even seems somewhat duplicitous. The classic example of evolution is a moth, very, very common in the cities of England, and it was the color of the stone used in the cities, kind of a grayish, goldish, whitish color. And then they started burning coal, and everything turned sooty and black. And the moths soon were all dark colored. Wow. Right? Because one of the drivers of Actual evolution is the white-colored moths were visible. The predators got them. The dark-colored moths became invisible. Their offspring thrived. Mm. That's evolution. That's evolutionary change. Yeah. So be listening for that this year and see how evolution and evolutionary are misused to, there is a point of this, misguide you. Hmm. Yeah, it's so interesting. There's this metaphysical shop around here, and that's the name of the store. <laughs> so, for sure, it definitely, and I'm sure they're implying something positive when they call it that. So, that's really interesting to think about. And, and not just that, but better. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. Huh. Wow. Um, and insofar as survival is better, is better than death, that's true. But it isn't mm-hmm. like uh, the little, uh, the little uh, pictogram, right, of the fish, right, and then it's like a monkey, and then it's like a, a Cro-Magnon man, and then it's like modern person. Like mm-hmm. evolution has been ever upward, getting better and better, more and more refined, until it got to us. Oh, mm. mm. <laughs> <laughs> I like jo- Joanna Macy's take on it that we um, are created, of course, completely from things that are the earth, and that we are the creation of the earth, so that the earth can walk about. And speak. Oh, that is beautiful. Wow. She says so many just, oh, wow. So deeply touching. That is profound. Love it. Wow. Yeah. Mm. Well, as usual, we have guests tonight who will be with us at 9 o'clock East Coast time. Actually, we have two guests. Jennifer Cordilla and Abby Rodriguez. 
and they have combined herbalism and Ayurveda. And they're going to be talking to us about um, what they're doing and um, how we can benefit from their knowledge. So stick with us or come on back and listen up to what Abby and Jennifer have to share with us. Anybody with a question tonight? Uh, Yes. We have two callers on the line that have already raised their hand. I want to oh, make that three, and I'll remind everyone listening, if you have a question tonight and would like to speak live with Susan, please press one on your phone keypad, and you will get lined up in the queue. Our first call tonight is calling from the 845 area code. From the 845, you are live with Susan. Hello. Hi, Susan. Hi. Yes, yeah, I am I am back. I am back. Well, it's been a while. How has your new well, year and uh, it was um um uh, Mother Wart and Hawthorne and uh, the five uh, um herbal herbal uh, d- drinks and uh, I stopped taking my uh Amlodipine, because I I'm dizzy and weak and upset, and all these are side effects of a very minimal quantity of medication, and I stopped taking it. And I'm reading a book called The Blood Pressure Solution Naturally, which uh, mentions, of course, the mother uh, work and. Uh, the hawthorn there, but along with it, a long list of of vitamin, vitamin B, vitamin six, vitamin this. You know, I don't like to take anything that is. Uh, you're getting all. You're getting all of those in abundance from your nourishing herbal infusions. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. However, uh, the the physical end result of it is. Uh, I, I stopped taking the amlodipine, and I notice I am less dizzy. Uh, but the weakness, the the standing and the walking and the pain of movement, and I realize that if I don't move, I die, and moving hurts. I'm still stuck with this problem, and that's why I am calling it tonight. I'm I'm very weak. And I'm eating well. I'm eating healthy. Um, I don't know. I don't want to take medication. I hear you. I have been having quite an affair with Shisandra Berry. It's been wonderful having a Shisandra vine and having such an abundance of berries. And... In Chinese medicine, there are three different kinds of energy. So you can be weak in three different ways. The energy that we hear about is qi. That's like tai chi and qi kung 
and chi is in the breath. It's prana. And chi is in the ground. And chi is pretty accessible, but not storable. So it's like you're saying you need to move. Moving is one way to access chi. My breathing difficult, yeah. You're breathing and you're connecting, right, with the ground in some way. And so you're, right, and you can build chi. You just can't store chi for long amounts of time. The energy that can be stored is jing. And you come with like a, trust fund of Jing from your ancestors. And the ideal is that you accumulate enough Qi during the day to have the energy that you need. And if you don't, then you have to use Jing. And when you use all your Jing, you die. Maybe I am near. So, there are not a lot of ways to build Jing. The aforementioned Qigong and Tai Chi and yoga can build Jing, but they liken it to putting lacquer on something. You put coat after coat after coat on it, thin, 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 and gradually, gradually, gradually it builds up. So it's not like like chi, you know, you can do like a breathing exercise and you can really feel energized from it like right then. Whereas with jing, it's slower. And then there's a third kind of energy, which is like the soul force energy. And all three energies are fed by Shisandra. Is this a, a, an infusion or what? what, what? It's just it's Shisandra berry. Mm-hmm. It's called the five flavor berry. You can make a infusion of it. You can make a tincture of it. Mm-hmm. I tinctured rather than dried the fresh berries. But I also did put some up in salt, which I've been using as a seasoning. It's just amazing. Um, so at this I time, it, at this time of the year, you would be buying dried chisandra berry and filling a jar a third full with that, and then to the top with hundred proof vodka, and letting it, you know, steep, shaking it up. Because you need to uh, get the dried plant material well mixed with the uh, the vodka, and it tends to get wet on the outside and stay dry on the inside. Don't have to overdo it, but you can just shake it up a little bit every day for a while. You'll see at the point where you don't really need to shake it anymore, and let that sit. And you can start taking that uh, by the dropperful. I take Chisandra tincture a dropperful every morning to help guard my energy. And that will be sufficient? Uh, in, in, I mean, I, I have to take them separately. I can't drink the Hawthorne and the, and the uh, Mother Wart. And, uh, I do. 
You do. Oh, it's okay to do I have them all lined up, but I put them, I take a glass in the morning, and I fill it a third full of green tea, which I've made beforehand and is in the refrigerator, and a third full of kaza, root infusion, which I've made beforehand and is in the refrigerator, and then a third full of whatever the infusion of the day is. Today it was nettle. And then I put in the tinctures that I'm taking, which right now are dandelion, hawthorn, schisandra, astragalus, motherwort, hypericum, and then a few tinctures to um, help me deal with pain. I take some uh, cannabis uh, in vodka, cannabis flowers in vodka tincture and a um, few drops of mellow lotus tincture, and a little bit of philopendula tincture. And I take this all at the same time. Wow. But th- th- don't they, like, there's so much, so much going on in, in one shot. <laughs> uh, I wonder Your how body com- loves complexity. Uh-huh. As I am used to think is that I have to allow each one a space to be ingested rather than mixing them up. I have a feeling that if it mixes it up, it creates a chemistry that I don't know how my stomach will respond to so much. Impossible. Impossible. Possible. Well, so w- what I'm hearing is to to get the the Shasandra tincture and take it uh, a full uh, drop of, uh, in the morning together with the other things I'm I'm doing and uh, and that might help my energy. I think it might. I am going to try it, of course. I appreciate Yeah, and as you take it, be envisioning that ability that it has Mm -hmm. to strengthen the three life energies, right? Qi, Jing, and Qi. And you know probably that in... um, one way of approaching Chinese medicine is called the five element theory. And there are five hollow organs paired with other organs, and there are five different ways of being. So that's why it's the five elements. And Shisandra is the only known herb that nourishes and strengthens all five elements all ten organs, and so on. So it's really, it's really, we can see why it's an adaptogen uh-huh. and why it's considered um, such a panacea. All right. So in the morning, one dropful, and that's what I'll do every day, and I should expect something to happen. And within two or three weeks, 
to feel better? What I'd like you to look for is a relationship with Shisandra. Uh-huh. And I'd like that to happen in a couple of days if it can. And then to build on that and see what she's offering you. When you say build on that, means taking more or not necessarily? Not necessarily. She might encourage you to take less. Oh. Oh, oh, oh. I see. As you create a relationship Mm -hmm. with the plant, and one way to do that is to put a drop of it on the back of your hand and to lick it off. Hmm. When I said I take one drop of philopendula, I do that. I put it on my hand and lick it off. Or I take three drops of mellow lotus, I put them on my hand and lick them off. Because I want to interact. Those are plants with very strong tastes, and I want to interact with those tastes. Mm-hmm. And the Shisandra also has the five-flavor berry. It's a very strong taste. I don't have to drink water after it. I just take it as it is, as a tincture, because usually... Usually, usually I put my tinctures in some liquid. Yeah. Yeah, and then you don't have to drink anything afterwards because you've drunk something with them, right? I can put it in my, uh, in my, a little bit of my infusion or just plain water? Yeah, I I make a cup with one third green tea, one third kava root infusion, one third the infusion of the day, and then the tinctures that I'm taking. Uh huh. All of them. Yes, all of them. All right, that's a new page in my life. <laughs> all right. Okay, I go for it. Good. <laughs> Thank you yes, so and call, much. Yes, absolutely. Call back in three weeks and let me know what's up, okay? Thank you very much. All That's right. Great blessings. Good night. Good night. All right. And we have five callers that have pressed one to raise their hand with a question. Uh, the next caller is calling in from the 313 area code. From the 313, you are live with Susan. Susan. It's Zara. What's up tonight? Zara, Zara, Zara. I love you. Good to hear your voice. Good to see you at the Zoom meeting, too. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I've been away for a while. I've been away for a while, that's for sure. But I'm trying to get back into it. Like you said, your correspondence students, you have unlimited time. Exactly. <laughs> so I love that. So the reason why I'm calling tonight is, though, it's, I guess it's a comfrey question, possibly, but um, I've, I got bit by a dog today. And earlier this week, I got bit on a different part by a different dog. My goodness. Yeah. So the first bite wasn't that bad, and I I basically just treated it with yarrow spray 
and I took a bath with some cannabis-infused oil. That was great. Um, but the bite that I got today is on my hand, and there's a pretty big gash. So, so it's not a puncture. It's not a puncture wound. There is some. There are some puncture wounds and a gash on my finger. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what the, I've done so far. The puncture wounds, of course, are the most problematic. Yeah. Because they are a fun place for tetanus to grow. I did. I did get my tetanus reshot like only a couple months ago, so I think I'm good for that. You are so good for that. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So Mm. what I did treat it so far, it was kind of ironic because I was taking my friend some comfrey for their ankle. They were playing basketball and and someone fell on it or something and they thought they broke their ankle so I was taking them some comfrey but it was once I went to deliver it then at the door the dog bit me so then I already had the bag of the juicy bag of comfrey on hand to treat my hand right away so you As soon as the dog bit you, you were able to put a comfrey poultice on it from dried comfrey leaf, fresh comfrey leaf? Um, It it was like the remnants from an infusion. Excellent, yeah. So So I already had that on hand, so I just rinsed it off and then put comfrey on it right away and took a bunch of skull caps to calm down because I was in shock. Yeah, and when did you say that happened? Today? That was at about 2 o'clock. So then what I did after that, I got my friend to drive me home, and uh, and I was drinking some kava tea, and then I made more comfrey, but I cold activated it. And then cooked it on the stove. So then I did a fomentation with the country tea and soaked it in there. And I got it real putting it outside. It's really cold. Really cold. And then you put your hand in the cold, comfrey, strong, strong comfrey tea you'd made with the comfrey leaf. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is it throbbing? Is it red? Does it seem infected? It's not infected yet. Definitely not. But so, okay, so then I did the fomentation with the comfrey and then kind of carefully picked all the leaves off and then sprayed it with yarrow, doused it with yarrow every little part, and then I wrapped it up. So now it's all wrapped up and it's elevated. Elevated sounds good. Mhm. The most critical thing 
is to make sure that there's not infection. Mm-hmm. So you might want to take echinacea. Okay. Just as a hedge against it Why? becoming infected and you could just take it the normal amount that you would take, you know, now, before you go to bed, when you wake up in the morning, take it six or seven or eight times and see where you're at. And if you think you need to take take it longer or take more, do that. And if you say, we're past that point in which this, this is going to become a raging infection, mm-hmm. I, I can drop back and, or I could stop the echinacea. That's all. <clears throat> and does it work like that? Yes, because it's not actually an antibiotic. It actually helps the immune system <clears throat> make um, macrophages, make okay. yeah, make the kind of white blood cells that help get rid of infection. In fact, <clears throat> if you go to the hospital and they think you have an infection, they're going to do a blood test and look for macrophages. Hmm. So, uh, is that the same type of thing that adaptogens could do, but for a longer period? Yes, adaptogens often um, promote other key elements like um, natural killer cells, T lymphocytes. The macrophages are kind of like the uh, they're part of the the corpse of white blood cells of which there are a great many and they do a lot of wonderful things Mm. while the natural killer cells the T lymphocytes and those kinds of things are more shall we say um, sophisticated parts of the immune system and are not made so easily or readily, and adaptogens tend to influence their production and support them. Well, that must be how I avoided getting COVID when everyone around me got it. Blessed be for you and your herbal work. Yeah. I kept saying that I was like, this, it's going to be an herbal miracle if I don't have it. Like every time when I was testing with my kids, with my mom, with like, just with everyone around me. And every time I, it was an herbal miracle. I've been drinking a lot of astragalus. All right. And your mom had COVID and your kids had COVID? My mom didn't have COVID. We took extra precautions. Good. But my kids had it, and my husband had it, and a bunch of my friends all had it as well. So then I was going and delivering medicine all over the place and double masking, and it was warm around the holidays, so we had the windows all open. It was great. Sounds very wise and sensible. <laughs> so, okay, so can we so, get back you know, to the 
get back to the dog bite here. Right. And about the comfrey, um, what are the kinds of things that we are frightened with about comfrey? We're told comfrey is going to do something terrible to your liver. We're told, Mm -hmm. well, even if it doesn't do something terrible to your liver, you certainly should never use it while you're pregnant and lactating. And we're told... And because it does something terrible to your liver, you should only use it externally, but you shouldn't use it externally on wounds because it will make them heal too fast. And open wounds, specifically. Well, right. Like most wounds tend to be open wounds. Um, So uh, this is why Astrid is going to speak, having used comfrey infusion with pregnant and lactating women for decades. Mm -hmm. And Barbara is going to talk about healing very, very deep wounds using comfrey. And one of the ways she keeps the wound open is to combine the comfrey with honey. Hmm. Okay. Well, I I have comfrey root tincture. I have aloe vera and I have... Um, I have something else that's comfrey oil. I was thinking about mixing all those together. Is that too much? <laughs> should I just try one thing, or should I just yes. dose it, like dip it in yarrow whenever I open it up? Or those are my thoughts. You know, wound care is. Very specialized, um, as I found out, having had a wound for all these months and months and months and months and months. Yeah. And um, we have cycled through a variety of different, using a variety of different things with the wound. In a medical setting, the wound would be cleaned with salt water, saline solution. Mm-hmm. You used to make a saline solution charcoal. Oh, yeah. I still make that. That's really good. And that I'll send could, you some more. That could be used to keep the wound from becoming infected, right? Charcoal is really good at that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's in salt water. Yes. And we've gone back and forth between using the salt water and using yarrow and sometimes using the salt water for the first wash and then using yarrow and just letting mm. the yarrow stay on, not yes. using it as wash at all. And you let it stay on there a bit and let it evaporate and then you bandage it? Yes. Okay. And at the drugstore, you can get honey bandages. Whoa. That sounds cool. They are cool. (laughs) All right, I'll look into that. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I'll have to go up in my studio to get my echinacea next. Okay. I'm relying on your good ability to pay attention to yourself. Mm-hmm. 
that if the wound should get hot or should get red, or you should feel um, kind of dizzy or faint or not like yourself, that you will get some help. A bite yeah. can become badly infected very quickly in the first day or two. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I have a friend coming over to make lunch tomorrow, so. Excellent. I like mm-hmm. it. Okay. All right. Thank love you. Love you. Love you. Love you. And love to your kids. <laughs> Thank you, Susan. And love to you, too. Green blessings. Good night, Sarah. Good night. Uh, there are four callers that have pressed one to raise their hand with a question. Next caller is calling from the 727 area code. From the 727, you are live with Susan. Hello, Susan. Hi. Actually, I spoke with you last month um, briefly on a mentor call. I had some questions about my husband going into knee surgery, and you were kind enough to Help me out with that, even though you don't like to do third-hand advice. <laughs> but thank you How for that. How did the surgery go? Um, the surgery went very well, and because of uh, all of those nourishing herbal infusions that I've been feeding him, and for the past year, and your advice, um, he's doing he's doing really well. Thank you. You are welcome. Yes. I, I will be calling you again personally, but um, this evening I just have a, a question that I'm hoping you can help me with in the meantime um, for myself. Um, for the past couple of years, well, two years ago, I was diagnosed with a kind of a hypertension, which is unexplained, like a secondary hypertension. Um, and then I, uh, I've never taken medications before. I'm very anti-farm. And um, I found that uh, I didn't want to take a medication when it was prescribed. My blood pressure at one day had just gone up to 220 over 110, and it was fluctuating a few days like that very, very high, and the doctors were concerned. I was able to get it down, and uh, then it came back again a couple weeks later. So they had put me on a blood pressure medicine, which I did not want to go on to, but my family convinced me that I should do that. So I did. I've, the past couple of years, I've been trying to find ways to get off of it. <laughs> Since I couldn't find anything medically wrong with me that would be causing the hypertension, I'm very healthy and very low triglycerides, um, and um, just couldn't find a reason why it was happening. Perhaps it was all in my head. Not sure. I got into meditation, yoga, Pilates, eat very, very healthy. Um, still on the medication, but really wanting to get off of it. But the blood pressure, even on the medication, it doesn't seem to matter whether I take it or not. It still fluctuates in a way that's just insane. I mean, if I could go two weeks and I stay under 120 over 80, and you know, often usually 114 and then 68, 70, really great. And then one day out of nowhere, it's skyrocketed well that also happened today and it scared me a bit of course so I went to the doctor and he was perplexed when I went to the doctor's office it was 220 over 110 my heart sounded great I have a very healthy heart everything's been checked my lungs sounded fine 
um, he took a urine sample, nothing on my kidneys. Of course, I knew there weren't B because I take nurse infusions every day. Um, but so, yeah, I'm a little perplexed. So he gave me this medicine to take when my blood pressure ever climbed crazy like that, just out of an emergency situation called hydrolyzine. And I have, I have it. I have not taken it. I do not want to take it. Um, but I was just wondering if I'm taking the right herbs, if I'm doing the right thing to control this. And I know that's going to be more sessions with you, but this evening, for instance, my mind, I was wondering if you had any advice. It's really annoying when we are in situations that are inexplicable. One of the primary things that Elizabeth Kubler-Ross really taught us and leaned on us about was that we had to accept chaos. We could not allow ourselves to think that there were always causes and effects and that we could be in control of them. Right. Let me give you a personal example of this. I, for some time in my life, um, kind of made a point with lovers that I wanted them to take their glasses off and to not wear their glasses, and that their glasses were getting in, in, in between us and there was less intimacy. And finally, a lot of them turned on me and said, you were in contacts. And you have to take your contacts out. And I said, oh, no, no, no. And they said, oh, yes, yes, yes. And I was so dependent on my contacts and being able to see that way that I would have sooner walk down Broadway in Manhattan naked than take my contacts out. But I did give way, and I did take them out. And not all the time, but every day for at least some time. And I also started doing the Bates method of eye improvement which is really more the point of this story, which is that the Bates method of eye improvement did not make my eyes better. They didn't give me 20-20 vision. They didn't get rid of my astigmatism, but they taught me how to see. They taught me how to see as I see. And that's a very different thing. So, you need to decide if your story is that 
any amount of time with high blood pressure is going to be horribly detrimental to your health, so horribly detrimental that it's better to take a drug. Or if you can find a way to be with at the minimum and utilize at the maximum your individual variants. Yes. And I've been doing a lot of, and, and so thankful for you, and I found you, I found you during COVID. And if it wasn't for COVID, I would not have had the time to be home and study you and everything that you have to offer. <laughs> and I have been really trying, and I know in, in your Wise Woman book, you talk about how, you know, the medications and that how certain herbs can be used with medications and that can then lead to being able to get off those medications. So I have been using Hawthorne tincture. I sometimes make big quarts of Hawthorne tea and then I'll drink it through the day. Um, I take um, as an as an adaptogen. I've, I've been using Tulsi for the past two years, um, but my blood pressure still fluctuates now and then. So I'm like, well, let me try something different. Maybe I'll try Reishi. <laughs> Um, and since I've been taking the Reishi, then it, it seems to have been worse, so now I'm going to go back to Tulsi. I was taking Ostragalus during COVID, and that worked really, really well for me, and I don't know if perhaps that was something I should be doing every single day. Um, those are some of the things I need to learn about as well. Um, today, I did go out and buy some other work because I have heard you speak so highly of it, um, so we'll see how that works for me. Um, but uh, I don't want to continue to go on this on this path, and I just don't know if it's in my head or not. <laughs> well, I can tell you it's not in your head. And what is in your head is the story you are telling yourself about the necessity of having your blood pressure not vary. What I'm suggesting is it might actually be okay. It might actually not be a health risk for you. You know, I don't know. I think I don't know if it is because, like I said, doctors, you know how they are. They had sent me to, you know, a couple years ago through the past year and a half, had sent me to all these specialists and kidney specialists and and blood specialists. And what is why is this happening to this person? And, um, you know, um, a heart doctor and a cardiologist, and she wanted me to take a second blood pressure medicine, which I refused to do, and all these things, and, you know, um, tests that I let myself do that I wish I hadn't, especially after reading your books, that it was ridiculous that I, that I did these things, and everything came back perfectly normally and healthy. So on days where my blood pressure, like today, you know, doesn't go much below 150 over 80, I just let it be. I mean, I tried meditation. I try sitting in the sunshine for 15 minutes, breathing in the air and, you know, walking, grounding with bare feet in 35 degree weather, whatever. I've been trying to do everything. And I think maybe I'm just getting myself so crazy thinking that I've got to find a way to get it down that I'm making That's it That's exactly work. what I'm saying. That is exactly what I'm saying. The things you're doing are great, but the story you're telling yourself is not so great. Mm-hmm. So you're telling yourself, uh-oh, my blood pressure is 150 over whatever, and that's going to, that 
in and of itself is bad, and it's going to be bad for me in the future because it's happening right now. I have to get it down. And what I'm saying is maybe your body's going to be okay with that. Maybe it's not bad for your body. Mm-hmm. The things you're doing, sure. those, those are great things. There's nothing wrong with those things. But maybe instead of using them as weapons against your body to make it behave, we mm-hmm. could use them as ways to befriend your body. Yes, those are much better words. It's, but it's not just the words. It's a whole. It's the whole story, isn't it? Yes. It's a whole story of, as you say, the doctors had you do all these things. Because and I let and I let it happen because I was scared. Mhm. Mhm. And because you bought their story. And their story is always a story of fear. Right, because they had told me I had had the first time it happened when it was so high. Because they didn't know what was wrong with me. I had like, they wanted to do an MRI and the whole, I don't know for what even reason anymore. It was just so many tests. It was ridiculous. And then I had had a mild stroke. And um, very mild. But then my my this kidney blood doctor they sent me to said, "Oh, I'm not concerned about that at all. It's just common people have those things, and you wouldn't even wouldn't even know you had been had it if you didn't have the, the MRI." And this blood specialist kidney doctor that I went to, he happens to be a, a kidney doctor, but specializes in blood diseases. I thought maybe I had a blood disease. He said, "You're the absolute perfect picture of health." He said, "I think that you just, I think you just." are very sensitive to how your body feels, more sensitive than most people, and that you're overthinking things. Don't come see me again. (laughs) So, but, you know, I try very hard to get my head around it. So I'm wondering maybe is there an adaptation maybe I should take that's different than what I'm taking that would help me kind of just like chill? Mm. I've tried CBD. What I'm I'm saying is, you're doing all the right things, and the chill. But the wrong story. You just invite the chill. Mm-hmm. You're, do, you're going outside for a walk. But instead of going yeah. outside for a walk to get your blood pressure down, you're going no, outside for a walk for fun. No, that's true, because sometimes I do mix that up, because, you know, I love, I'll sit and look at the birds and how beautiful they are eating the bird seed that I've fed them. And I think, oh, this should really help to lower my blood pressure. But at the same time, I shouldn't be thinking about that. I should just be watching the birds enjoy the bird seed. <laughs> you can be thinking about that. Just don't dwell on it. Mm-hmm. So, yes. Enjoy the birds. Enjoy yourself more. And perhaps... It certainly seems to be backed up by all these tests, what I'm saying here. Perhaps you are an anomaly. Perhaps you are a unique being who, for 
unknowable reasons, suddenly has high blood pressure. And you're going to use that to say, oh, I need a day watching the birds. Hi, I'm getting that message. And this is how I respond to that message rather than countering it. Go with it. You keep asking me for ways to counter it in a way. Mm-hmm. And I keep saying the mildest thing, which is to go with it. And the, the less mild thing, I would say, is to elevate it. Right. Well, that's, that's an approach that I sometimes go towards myself. And I, I've taken... I sold my business, took all the stress out of my life, most of it, and just have spent the past year just like on me and just every day just trying to be whole, healthy everywhere, mind, body, and soul. And that's why it frustrates me so much. It's like, what am I doing wrong? Why is it still climbing high? See, this is exactly, this is the story you're telling is that somehow this is wrong. And the story I'm trying to insert here is this is right. This is you. Hi, it's right. I guess so. I guess it's right. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross never did, but she swore she was going to make a T-shirt that said, you're not okay, and I'm not okay, and that's okay. That's okay. I try to remind myself of that. And since I don't take any, I don't take any, I haven't for years, any Tylenol, Advil, any painkillers whatsoever, actually. I don't. But with the blood pressure going up and down so much lately, I do have a little bit of a headache, and you would expect that to be. What would you recommend for that? That's not an over-the-counter drug. CBD doesn't seem to help. Skull cap. Oh, really? I yeah. didn't know that. Yes, yeah, Sarah that was just relaxes, It relaxes you, too. It does. Now, both skull cap and motherwort are members of the mint family, and they share a very interesting similarity. This is mm-hmm. in general two of most herbs, but skullcap and motherwort are very, very strong examples of it. And that is that a tincture made of the dried plants, dried skullcap or dried motherwort, is pretty ineffective. Uh. The tincture is made from the fresh plants, and especially the fresh plants in vodka, are highly effective. Fresh plants made made in 100-proof vodka, usually three to five drops is enough, whereas the tincture made from the dried plant, two or three dropperfuls often has to be used. Hmm. Okay. There's that much difference. It'll say on the bottle, generally. I know that um, Cat Mountain Herbals uses fresh plants to make their tinctures and uses vodka. And that Red Moon Herbs uses fresh plants to make their tinctures and uses organic grain alcohol. All right. Well, that's good. I'm going to try to... Two sources of those two tinctures made from the fresh plant. And if I I already have taken motherwort this evening, it's fine to also take skullcap. Yes, absolutely. 
Okay, great. Well, I really appreciate what you, everything you said is very, very helpful and um, agreeable. So I, I thank you for that, and I will be talking to you again soon. All right. Green blessings. Good night. Thank you. All right, and we have three callers with their hands raised, and the next caller is calling in from the 908 area code. From the 908, you are live with Susan. Yes. Hi, Susan. Can you hear me? I can hear you, Carol. How are you tonight? Yeah, and you recognize my voice, too. Uh, Wonderful to um, hear your voice, Susan, and have you back again. Thank you. Yes. Yes. So um, a couple questions. That was very informative, um, what you said before about the way you take your tinctures. And um, the green tea, um, that's an infusion that you make of, of what? What what kind of green That's tea? actually matcha. Okay. And I, you, put you a, I put a tablespoon of matcha into a cup of hot water, actually I pour the hot water and whisk them, the hot water into the matcha, and um, then I add another three cups of cold water, so I have a quart of pre-brewed matcha in the refrigerator, which I shake very vigorously, because of course the matcha wants to fall to the bottom, and as I said, I put some of that in my morning cup. Yeah, beautiful. And the the matcha matcha being ground green tea. For instance, green tea appears to be the single most reliable herb to help prevent any kind of cancer recurrence. I'm going to be a lifelong drinker of green tea. Oh yes. Okay. Um. Then then you said the kava root. Infusion. I just cataloged kava root, and I don't see it there. Where do you get the kava root? Mountain rose. Okay, okay. And 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 you make the infusion. I would bet that Pacific Botanicals also has it. Okay. Okay, and then the infusion. um, I don't know if Star West. Yeah. Right. Said that it's worth. Trying? Yes. And, and and is there a particular form of the kava root, or do you just regular kava root? Yeah, cut and sift. Cut and sift. Okay. Mm-hmm. And how, how is that infusion? Same same thing, one ounce in a quart of water? One ounce quart of boiling water. Right. And I use that quart up, as I said, you know, about a third of a cup at a time, right. so that quart lasts me for a while. And then instead of tossing the root, which I've left in it, I haven't strained it out, I refill it with boiling water. And now for that second brew, because it's a root, it's a pretty strong root for that second brew, I use about twice as much. So it's proportionally more of my glass. And oh, then I, I will right, it, right. Then I will even do it a third time. And the third time, I just like kind of sip it throughout the day. But I find that the the kava root infusion is 
for me, one of the most solid and foundational herbs for moderating muscle pain. Oh, oh, nice. Mm, wonderful. Yes. So, thank you. When you said you put one-third, one-third, uh, one-third, that was um, a course? The, la- the last one- third is whatever infusion I'm having that day. Yes, the last third is the infusion, but the whole quantity is one quart that you just made. No, the whole quantity is, is whatever I want it to be. Oh, okay. I see. Oh, that's very it's nice. What I'm, it's what I'm drinking at in the morning. Am right. I on my way out the door? Then maybe it's, you know, the three, the one-third, one-third adds up to half a glass full. Oh, I love it. Put my tinctures in it and gulp it down, and away I go. Yeah. Am I am I going to be able to have a leisurely breakfast, uh, perhaps, you know, with a, a friend and sit around? Oh, it's going to be a big glass full with my, you know, it depends. That's why I gave it in proportions rather than amounts. Nice. Oh, that's wonderful. That's great. And then... Um, and that would probably help. I'm having a, a like a muscle pain under uh, the shoulder blade on the right side, and I, I can't get at it uh, to put a salve on because I, I live alone. Uh, is there a particular salve or something to take for that that pain there? Well, you know, at our um, the room where we do Tai Chi and yoga, here, there's a variety of aids for that exact <laughs> thing. The first uh, one is the Ma Roller, N A Ma Ma Roller, and they're yeah, available. Yeah. Right. Right, and you lay the Ma Roller on the ground, and you lay yourself on the Ma Roller, and you roll um, the Ma Roller, and it really gets into that spot. You may also um, see laying around there tennis balls both wrapped oh. and unwrapped, which, again, you simply get it on, you know, on um, a floor with, like, a rug surface so the tennis ball doesn't go rolling away from you. <laughs> you can, like, set it down, and it stays down, and then you put your shoulder on it, and you roll around on it. Right. And there's also um, kind of... Actually, it looks like a spike virus. It's like a ball with these little rubber spikes coming out all over it. And that's also there for for laying back on and uh, rolling around on. And unlike the tennis ball, it does not go shooting out from under you. Right. So those are a variety of ways to um, do that. The other thing that I've seen people do when they wanted to apply an ointment to an area of the back that they couldn't reach was to take an old um, piece of material, a sock, a piece of T-shirt, anything like that, and put some of the ointment toward the middle of it and then holding the ends of it 
uh, wrap it over your shoulder um, oh, yeah. or uh-huh. around your torso, depending on where the spot is, and use it to rub the ointment in by exactly. pulling back and forth like you were sawing with yes. your hands, right? Yes, yes, yes. And which ointment do you recommend? I especially like hypericum oil. Yeah, hypericum, right, right. Yeah, I see that. Perfect. Yeah. Yes, that's excellent. Um, thank you. And um, um, I'm just really thanking you for so much wisdom just tonight and really expanding on things. Um, always something wonderful to go forward with. Um, and I don't know if this is appropriate if you could do this, but I was just going to say, is there any place in the Catskills that you recommend that's a little getaway that um, would be just nurturing and not too expensive, um, but yet has outdoor activities? I'm not... What a good question. I'm not sure that I have a good answer for you, and that's partly because, of course, things have changed a lot due to COVID and continue to change a lot due to COVID. So even if I had an answer, and even if that answer was true, even so much as a couple of weeks ago, it maybe wouldn't be true now. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, there used to be a couple nice places in the old days. I can't think of the name of them, but they were delightful, but they've gone the way of certain things. Um, and many, uh, many, many of those places have gone the way, and the whole um, change in tenor just of the whole bed and breakfast and Airbnb um, with COVID has uh, left things just far less um, predictable, I guess is yeah. what I'm looking for, right? Okay. As I said, even even if I had a place to recommend, and it would be taking guests two weeks ago, I couldn't guarantee it would be to, tonight. Yeah. Thank With Omicron you. really Thank surging you. in New York, we're all staying home and hiding under the bed. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Um, and I know that um, I celebrate all the putting up and the the canning and preserving that you did because I know in now in the months coming up you're having your apple butter and all those wonderful things that you uh, that you worked so hard to make and shared with us each week that you were you know the I think the peaches you did something with and oh my it must be glorious totally I just brought some uh, peaches upstairs today to thaw out. I make a peach yogurt shake with maple syrup oh. and frozen peaches and goat yogurt. Oh, my Lord. Sounds wonderful. You Thank are you welcome. It is wonderful. Mm. And, yes, we're really enjoying all of the greens that we cooked and put by. And Oh, yes. Oh, what did I have yeah. for breakfast? I had um, a piece of... Um, a frozen quart of ratatouille, and mm. I just ran hot water kind of along a mid-seam mm. of it so that I could break it in half, mm-hmm. And right? And then I th- 
thawed that out with um, about a quarter of a pack of frozen greens and um, wow. about half a cup of rice, and then I melted some goat cheese on top of it. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, my Lord. That sounds so So we, You know, we, as you're saying, we shop our freezer. Yeah, yeah, right, right. It must be a big one down there in the basement. Well, let's see. There's the freezer in the refrigerator in the kitchen. Yes. There's the freezer in the refrigerator here at Pearl. There's the freezer in the refrigerator where the apprentices stay. And then I also have an upright freezer and a chest freezer and another large upright freezer. Oh, God. Wonderful, Susan. I do. I have a lot of freezers. But I come from a, a, I come from a restaurant family, so we're used to having a lot of appliances. It's not at all. When my parents were like scaling back, they scaled back to one freezer and two refrigerators. <laughs> you said you came from what kind of family? I missed that. Restaurant tours. Oh, restaurant tours. No wonder. My my parents ran restaurants. Yeah. Oh God, that's a piece of history. Thank you for sharing that. Now I know why you able to do all these wonderful things. Oh, thank you, Susan, again and again. You are welcome, Julius. They pressed, they pressed me to work at a young age. I think I was 12 or 13 when I was uh, uh, roller skating as a car hop <laughs> serving uh, root beer floats. Oh, boy, Susan, wonderful. <laughs> what it. an image, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you. All Very right. Let's... I love you. All right. Love you too, Carol. Green blessings. Good night. Green blessings. Good night. All right. We got about 12 minutes before our guests join us, and there are three callers on the line with their hands raised. Uh, The next is from the 206 area code. From the 206, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. This is Shay. It's good to hear you. Hi, Shay. What's tonight? Hi. Yeah, um, I'll get right to it. I am on day three of what I think is a migraine headache. Um, I have not had migraines in my life until the last few months. As you know, I lost my son, so I just kind of think that everything's connected to that, but I'm I'm not sure. Um, But I have these headaches, and when I first started tracking them a couple of months ago and just keeping track of how often they were happening and where I was feeling the sensation and anything I could to just kind of get a sense of what was going on. They were about a week to 10 days spaced apart. Recently, I've had them pretty much every day with maybe a break of one day. And this recent one, as I said, this is my third day. Um, So what it usually starts kind of in the occipital region of my skull. And most often it moves up to my left, like temporal region and it throbs and pulses there. Um, The things that I have been able to use for some support and relief are skull cap tincture and melalotus tincture. I feel those right away, but, um, I have to, like, keep dosing. They take the edge off, but, you know, and kind of stay on top of it. Um, also, yeah, a little bit yep. of the parasympathetic. I find that, too. I find that, yeah. too. And that, that's part of what's really different about herbs 
is that you can like kind of take a drug and forget it for a while. And with the herb, you pretty much have to be aware and stay on mm-hmm. top of it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, I think I think it's one of the strengths of the herbs is that it helps us stay more in touch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really feel that. And I appreciate what you were saying a couple of callers ago about Elizabeth Kubler-Ross saying something about chaos, that except chaos, there are not always causes and effects. So I've been trying to remind myself, you know, not necessarily to look for the why or the cause of what's happening, but to just try to address what what's happening and what needs nourishment. So... Um, Something else that's given me temporary relief is frozen um, comfrey compresses. So I'll take the spent herb, stick it in the freezer, and then roll that up in a towel like a like an ice pack and lie on that around the, the base of my skull. And that gives me some relief and even got rid of one of the headaches. Um, so I just I wanted to check in with you and ask you if you have additional suggestions or if you can feel into this and maybe pick up on something that I'm not seeing or not recognizing because I really don't want to live with headaches every day. I mean I know there's just so of much that not. like you were of saying to you know when I was caller, we can't control when I was it. when I was just kind of peeking over the edge of doing this work. I decided that I would go around and I would interview the um, older healers in my area. So, and to me, that was over 70. And one of the questions that I asked them was, um, if you were to point to any one organ in the body as being the most important organ or something I should really focus on, what would that be? And virtually every single one of them said the liver. Hmm. And in five-element theory, the liver is responsible for pulling the energy down from the digestive system. And when the liver isn't working right, the energy flies up to the eyes and then the head, making a headache. Hmm. And you said your headache starts Mm -hmm. around your occipit region. Mm -hmm. So... Dandelion, burdock, mm-hmm. milk thistle, yellow dock. What liver ally calls out to you? Mm-hmm. Or maybe yeah, already, take, take, or maybe already called out to you, and you're like, "Oh, that's why I made all that this past fall." Yeah, I'm obsessed with burdock root, and I made a bunch. And every day, I take burdock root tincture and dandelion whole plant dandelion tincture that I made three times a day. Um, Okay, so liver. So that's something you've already thought of and you're already dealing with. That sounds Mm -hmm. really good. The theme of tonight seems to be um, what would happen if it was okay to have these headaches? What would happen if it, if it was a gift to you? Mm. 
course we want to struggle against what bothers us. It's absolutely natural and normal for us to do that. And there's something that happens when we don't struggle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, that's very interesting. I just had the, this image in my head of um, the hanged man card or the hanged one in the tarot. And, you know, this just kind of hanging in sort of a surrender, but it's, it's not exactly comfortable, but it's like a, a letting go. And that's kind of, the space that I've been in since my son died and it's like all like like I'm being held upside down or something and all this energy is like rushing down and pooling in my head and needs released yes yes exactly it needs to be released not threatened gotten rid of hated but released, honored, and released. How does that happen? Mm. I saw an, kind of funny, almost cartoonish image today of someone with a finger stuck into a wall plug-in, right? Like a mm-hmm. plug-in point on the wall. And all of this energy was flowing into the figure. And the other arm, the Fingers were spreading out and branching out like a tree and creating just an incredible amount of activity and beauty. And I thought, ah, you know, that's so much what we all want to do is to be sturdy enough to plug in and then to transmit it. Mm. Mhm. But how often when we get plugged in do we say make it stop? Ah. Oh. Yeah. Because like you say it's not comfortable. Mhm. Yeah. I'm going to I'm going to really sit with this this image in this frame. It it feels good. Yeah. Thank you, Susan. Um I respect and appreciate and love you so much and thank you for all of the offerings that you've given us these many years and I look forward to speaking with you soon. I love you, Shay. Green love blessings. You. Green blessings. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, We have two callers on the line with their hands raised. The next call is coming from the 401 area code. From the 401, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. Hi. Hi. Um, So basically, I wanted to tell you uh, my story about how I didn't get vaccinated for COVID. I was 30 
two years old, going to be 33. I'm like very healthy and I thought that it would be okay. And I have chemical sensitivities that have been driving me nuts, super, super sensitivity to like smells and stuff. So I don't know. I just got scared and conflated that with getting the vaccine somehow and that it, something bad would happen or it would get worse or maybe the HPV vaccine caused it when I got that when I was 23 and I, I didn't get it. And then I got the Delta variant, I think last month, um, early December and December 11th or 12th, I tested positive and um, it, uh, I, I've been getting better. I, I, I was only really sick for 10 days. I didn't have to go to the hospital. I recovered um, at home, I I was okay. I could do things around the house. Um, I had some neurological symptoms like brain fog, forgetting words. I lost my smell. My smell is only 50% back. Um, and I, but I still have symptoms like neurological symptoms like joint pain, little random aches and pains here and there, and and my smell of course and. Um, I'm just struggling with like, extreme, extreme regret about not getting the vaccine. I feel incredibly stupid. I hate myself for it. And I just I really, I realize I need a new way of thinking about this. Like it's not helpful the way that I'm thinking about it. And I know I should have made a different choice probably for me. Um, now that and this that, has happened. That's our, that's our theme of the night is the stories that we live by. Yeah, and, it really you is. Know, and it's not like, is it a valid story or not a valid story? Because whatever we, story we choose is going to be a valid story. Yeah. Because it's a story. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't have to follow the rigorous guidelines of truth. It's simply our story. And I really want you to let yourself off the hook. Thanks. This is this is what forgiveness is about, right? Yeah. This is about saying, wow, if there was time travel and I could go back and I could talk to her, I would get her to change her mind. And you know what? Maybe you wouldn't. Yeah. I maybe know. even I... if there was time travel and you could go back and talk to her, maybe you wouldn't be able to change her mind. I don't think that I could have. Because I was she, was, she was pretty animal. determined. She was pretty set in her ways. She needed these life experiences to be changed in that way. And you will find your own story. And the more your story is a story not of victimhood and not of shame and blame and guilt, the more help that story will be to others. Yeah, I'm really in a very shameful place, and it really hurts a lot. I feel so embarrassed and um, ashamed, and I just feel like I want to be saved, like I'm not going to be okay, and I won't be able to take care of myself, and I might not be able to walk or use my arm because of all these weird feelings and different 
things that have come up, but I'm okay. I'm getting through and I'm getting work done and I can work and I can eat and I'll have a random bout of insomnia. Um, but I just get scared it's going to get worse. And uh, it's just brought up so much fear. And you can get scared it's going to get worse. Just don't dwell on it. Say, oh, yes, there's that fear about it getting worse. Okay, next. <laughs> valid fear but you don't have to entertain it right yeah right no and give it up give up the blame shame and guilt I know it's a lot to ask and I know we don't have any more time to talk so all I can say is give it up you'll be glad you did and so will we Okay. Blessings. Good night. And I want to welcome Jennifer and Abby to the show. Jennifer and Abby are root and nourish. Jennifer Cordilla is a wellness educator and a writer. For over 10 years, she has created a lifestyle which reveres the power of whole natural foods to nourish the mind and body. She develops and shares recipes from her tiny New York kitchen. And let me tell you, New York kitchens can't be tiny. Uh, Jennifer has over 500 hours of yoga teacher training and is currently studying to become an Ayurvedic health counselor at the Kripalu School of Ayurveda. She lives in Brooklyn. Oh, she's got a big kitchen. Abby Rodriguez is a certified holistic nutritionist, herbalist, and food content creator. We're going to have to ask what that is, right? Over the last five years, she's been developing recipes for women and young families on her food and wellness blog, The Butter Half. Deeply passionate about the power of plants and nutrition and teaching others about holistic wellness. Abby in Northern Virginia with her husband and three children. Welcome to the show, Jennifer and Abby. Hi, Thank Susan. you so much, Susan. This conversation How did you do so that? How did you do Thank you. Yes, how did you two come to start working together? Ooh, that's a fun story. Jennifer, I feel like you're so good at telling our meat cute. <laughs> well, uh, as you mentioned in our bios, um, I have a background in publishing. Um, I started working in publishing after college and was a young editor looking for projects when I came across Abby's blog, The Butter Half. And at the time, I was also um, experimenting on my own, making recipes, um, plant-based recipes, and so really had an, an affinity for uh, people who were doing good work in in the blog world, um, uh, in the food blog world especially. And so I connected with Abby, hoping that she would be wanting to write a book that I could acquire and publish. Um, and it wasn't quite right timing for her. Um, she was still sort of establishing the website and working on many other amazing business projects at the time, but we stayed in touch and 
um, over the years as I've moved away from publishing um, and moved more into holistic health through yoga and Ayurveda, we started having conversations about all the things that we were learning. Abby at the time was also studying herbalism herself after dealing with some uh, health conditions that she she can share with us. But um, she was uh, sort of moving the butter half, her blog, more into the direction of herbalism as well. And so we were chatting about all the things that we were learning and how much we wanted to share what we were learning and decided to write this book together, our book, um, Root and Nourish, which is a cookbook that focuses on three areas of health, digestive health, mental health, and female reproductive hormonal health through herbalism and Ayurveda. And we have all the recipes are uh, plant-based and gluten-free. So it's really very accessible to a lot of people. And we were just so, so happy, you know, on the theme of tonight's call of, you know, what, what is our story and how can things sort of happen in the way that they do? Um, I don't think either of us planned for this to happen or for us to mm-hmm. certainly meet each other or work together in this way. And yet it has produced this wonderful thing. So um, I hope that everybody who, who has called in and who's been listening um, can sort of see this pattern happening, happening in all of us in different ways. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Jennifer. That's wonderful. You want to add anything to that, Abby? I mean, I think she summed it up beautifully, but I I am also struck by the theme for this evening of showing up in our stories and, you know, nothing really to add to our story other than, I think, trusting in the divine timing of things. I actually, as I was listening to you speak, Susan, which this has been a lovely evening ritual for me, I pulled a, a card from the Illustrated Herbiary of Oracle Cards by Maya Tolls. And the card that I pulled was red clover. And I thought it was so interesting talking Mm. about how red clover can center and ground us. And it was talking about how, you know, red clover loves taking action and will bolster our courage. And for me, I always pick a a word for the new year. Courage was actually my word. And so it was really interesting to see how that is aligning with my story and all the stories that we've heard tonight, you know, talking about when we are acting from a strong center, we can step out and move forward. And Red Clover reminds us to be bold but not rash and to get our blood up so we can show up fully within our stories. So that's that's where I'm at tonight. That's beautiful, bold but not rash. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. Powerful. Uh, so, what does it mean to develop a recipe? You've both said this several times. Um, I think I know what, you're, what, what you mean, but tell us more about it. I, Abby, why I, don't you walk us through I, your process? Yeah, yeah I was going to jump in there and take that. So, I think, and Jennifer and I have talked about this at length, that Cooking with herbs is a very special way of cooking, as I'm sure you know, Susan, of connecting with the plants on an energetic, spiritual level. And so, you know, the recipes within our cookbook were very much an intuitive process of developing a recipe because, yes, technically speaking, it needs to make sense, it needs to be approachable, and all the logistical reasons of that, but also... uh, creating that essence and keeping the integrity of including the herbalism and herbal medicine component there. So 
for me personally, it's taking my favorite recipes and taking that as a base of, you know, for example, a chocolate chip cookie, and I adapted that into an adaptogenic version that's completely gluten-free and plant-based, and being able to, to bring that comfort and that element of familiarity that we have with these cherished favorite recipes, but also bringing that into alignment with the goodness of herbal medicine. Jennifer? I totally agree, and I think that that's such an important part of how to develop especially recipes that have these more specific dietary concerns in mind because we always are trying to sort of convince people on a slight, in a slight way of like, oh, this is going to taste just like this thing that you love and maybe even better. Um, I've been plant-based for many years, and so in a lot of ways I, I started cooking um, from – a plant-based perspective. And so I don't always go into it that, with that mindset, but when I'm developing recipes nowadays, I really come from it, uh, come at it from a sort of elemental or sensory level. Um, I love using my senses and using a sense of intuition to guide my recipe development. Um, I am not great at planning or even following recipes to be perfectly honest when I'm cooking myself sort of like, oh, well, we need a little bit of this, a little bit of that, like this is not quite right, or I, I shop often at a farmer's market, and so whatever happens to be there that week that looks beautiful and enticing or is sort of meeting me where I am in the foods and the nourishment that I need at that time, that's what I'll use as my inspiration. And then using, you know, the sounds of um, of chopping the vegetables, the sounds of them cooking, um, tasting it along the way, noticing when it's done by its smell or by its color, all of those things really help me to be embodied in the recipe development experience, let alone when you then go down, go and sit down to eat it afterwards. So for me, making a recipe is not so much about sort of following a formula or uh, having like a clear vision in mind for what the end result is, but being in a sort of flow state and, and letting the food speak to me and tell me like, what does it want to become? And just sort of letting it do its thing and I get to watch and then enjoy the finished products. Yes, each evening when we sit to our evening meal, we are always astonished at the beauty and abundance and deliciousness of the food that is available to us. And mm -hmm. when it is fresh and local, um, hardly needs anything other than cooking to make it mm -hmm. presentable. Uh, over 20 years ago, I was actually thrown out of an organic conference for saying that local was more important than organic. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely, yes. Mm -hmm. But but my words, as, as the words of most Aquariuses, were prophetic. Local is more important. Mm -hmm. You do a lot of local. Talk, talk to us a little bit about local and why you like local so much. So I have to use local ingredients um, for a number of reasons. One... I'm always thinking about sort of the environmental component of most of my actions, but especially with regards to food. And so eating foods that are local just sort of helps me to know where something is coming from, know that the transportation of that food is, has been minimized, but also the freshness. Um, in Ayurveda, we talk about um, we talk about the nutrition of food, not so much in terms of carbs or fats or proteins, but 
terms of it, it's prana and how much life is in it. And so when something has been shipped um, halfway around the world um, on a boat or on a plane, um, by the time it gets to you, its prana has sort of um, decreased uh, substantially, uh, potentially. And so maximizing the prana of my food um, is is uh, a priority for me. And that's something that you could tell pretty easily by just the color, the texture, the sort of um, solidity, the crispness of um, of produce, especially um, the aroma. All of those things are sort of indicators of the food's prana. But I also really love how it connects me to my community because I get to chat with the folks at the stand um, and sort of talk about what they've been growing or um, I've become sort of uh, friendly and these are familiar faces now to me um, who I see every week. And it's been especially helpful during this uh, pandemic time because um, even during all of the difficulties and there was a point last year where even at the farmer's market, everything was sort of roped off and like couldn't touch anything. And it was, it was a sort of intense experience even to go there, but it was so um, comforting to be with those same people and know that they were being stewards of the earth in the way that I can, cannot um, because of where I live. I live in, in the city and yet I'm still able to connect with that in such a, a deep way. And I know that, you know, shopping locally for food is not always completely accessible or easy to do um, depending on where you live and your resources. And so there's nothing wrong with, you know, if you're, if you're not able to do that, but even if you can get one ingredient per week that is grown locally or um, supporting a, a small local business, I feel like there's such, there's such good energy connecting that experience to what you eat and then what you wind up, digesting um, and being transformed into in your in your body when you eat that food is so much more nourishing than something that's been sort of um, something that has been made so far away and so outside of your experience um, in our sort of industrialized food culture. Mm-hmm. And to, to echo what Jennifer is saying, uh, just with that community aspect. Of course, the the environmental impacts of, of eating local, I think we all realize how important that is. But for me, one of my top values in life is community, having this sense of connection to other people. And when I think of buying local, sourcing local, I think of those connections that are made because, you know, a lot of our one of the pillars of health that we speak about within Root and Nourish is this element of connection and how much food brings that to us, right? We we break bread together. We have some of our most intimate moments when we're sharing a meal and food with each other. And to a lot of, at least from my perspective of where I came at in the headspace uh, when we were creating the book, was influenced by this book called If Women Rose Rooted, Rose Rooted by Sharon Blackie. And she talks about having this sense of rootedness and connection to where you are and where you're from. And so I think that eating locally, sourcing those ingredients locally really gives you that sense of groundedness and a connection to where you are in the present moment and really leaning into that. There's something about eating the food that is grown on the land that you live on that is mm-hmm. very ineffable, very difficult to put into words. 
But I think the closest we can come to it is to say it changes your gut flora. Mm-hmm. And you can notice that it changes your gut flora for the better pretty quickly. Yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. Fascinatingly enough, when I started saying let's heal by nourishing, of course what people said to me was, you can't do that. <laughs> so how lovely to see the iteration of herbalists and people who aren't being told that and mm-hmm. who get to start from, as Linda Conroy puts it, what if nourishment works? Mm-hmm. So when you're talking about nourishment, you're talking about five pillars, five pillars of health, five pillars of nourishment, because nourishment is not just recipes and what we eat. It's also, as you said, community. Do you want to tell us about the other pillars? Yeah, so I can share a couple of those. Uh, the first one that pops into my mind is is spirituality, and we're not going in any particular order as they are in the book, um, but spirituality being one of those, and I touched on that a little bit about how plants are such a spiritual experience and being able to commune with them in that way and the earth and how that can become such an integral part of our practice to nourish ourselves spiritually. Um, and also, you know, food and nutrition is, is the the number one that we start with there because we are speaking about recipes and a cookbook, of course. But I, I feel like our society is so dialed into convenience and what can be quickest and, and how can I, you know, lean into that more. And I think, you know, real nourishment and nutrition is about everything we've said before about connecting to your food, understanding how it can heal us, the nutrients that it that it involves. As a holistic nutritionist, and in my experience with that, it's really interesting to me when I speak with clients and asking them about their food and their practices, and trying to gauge a knowledge of of their nutritional background, and just how many people don't really have an understanding of what's in the food and what goes into it, and reading. You know, ingredient labels or even understanding produce and, and all of the wonderful nutrients it has to offer about how disconnected we can become with our food. And I think that comes back full circle to that concept of connection of how connected are you to your knowledge of food and nutrition. So, Jennifer, if you want to share the other two. Sure. Um, just to sort of dwell on this food part for a minute longer is, that you know, so we focus so much in our culture on what we're eating, but what we try to introduce in the book is this idea of how we eat and what we digest is actually just as important as what we're eating. Mm-hmm. Because if we're not able to digest things, we could be eating the healthiest food, the most local and organic, all the things, uh, all the good things that we want in our food. And if we can't digest it, if our bodies can't make sense of it, then it's not doing us any good. And so creating the conditions, mm-hmm. which are these other pillars of health, um, are essential for having our food be actually um, meaningful to, uh, to our bodies. 
So the other pillars that we talk about are um, rest and sleep, which are sort of two different things in our, in our mindset. Obviously, we all know what sleep is when we go to sleep at night, but sleep is not always restful if we're tossing and turning or um, upset uh, emotionally or having physical discomfort that's preventing us from having um, restful sleep. Um, but then there's also rest that is not sleep where we're conscious and awake, but we're taking time deliberately away from work or doing practices like restorative yoga or meditation or taking a leisurely walk, um, like you were, you were speaking about earlier, all of those ways that we can sort of downregulate our nervous system that are super important for not only being able to digest, but also to have all of our body systems work and to have that space to really tap into our creative um, desires. And, you know, what, what are we wanting to do in the world? What is our energy being called to do rather than this idea of like what we should be doing or what's expected of us. Um, the other pillar is movement. And movement is also something that our culture has a sort of a little bit of a twisted relationship to because we have all of these um, exercise programs and sort of this, this mindset of what we're doing when we're exercising. And then there's also um, a lot of lack of movement. Um, our sedentary culture, our screen addictions, all of these things that are sort of um, twisting what is uh, important. We think we could do a 30-minute workout and then sit on the couch the rest of the day and everything is all good. Um, but having movement be something that's enjoyable and sustainable for our bodies, so things that are appropriate for our, our stage of life, for our health conditions, um, and sort of uh, intuitive, you know, something like walking or swimming or hiking, things that engage us with nature and allow, us our, allow our bodies to feel invigorated and energized rather than depleted at the end of the experience is really where movement can be nourishing rather than sort of the, uh, a mindset of like burning yourself out um, through exercise. So between all of those five pillars, you can sort of see a whole, um, a whole picture of who, who you are and how you're engaging with the world and how that engagement with the world is transforming into you in, on a physiological level, but also in a, a psychological and spiritual level. Mm-hmm. That's very beautiful that that you remind us to include all of those aspects. You know, I think that perhaps one of the things that's most confusing for people about food is that the way I see it, we're not designed to think about food. Our ancestors mm-hmm. never thought about food. Our ancestors never f- said, what shall I eat tonight? Our ancestors said, mm-hmm. shall I eat tonight? And so when we then suddenly start to, to need all this knowledge about food, and I agree with you, we do need now to be knowledgeable about food because of the enormity of our choices, um, it feels incomprehensible to people because they actually don't have an inner way of knowing this. And, of course, we've all heard of the experiment done in the 40s where they um, let children choose their own food um, from 
good whole foods, basically, and every child, although on any individual day chose a wacky diet, overall chose a good diet. What mm-hmm. many people haven't heard is that the experiment was actually repeated ten years later in the 50s when breakfast cereal had come out and the children um, were again, allowed to choose their own diets, but this time with breakfast cereals and other processed foods, and no child was able to choose an adequate diet. Mm -hmm. So we're supposed to be able to feed ourselves well by eating what appeals to us. But we can't do that anymore. And what's confusing about that is that, you know, what appeals to us, we don't even know anymore because we're so bombarded by all of the marketing that uh, our own sense of what it what is valuable to us, what what do we even really want, um, has been so distorted by these messages that are um, that are being sent to us all the time. And that example you gave illustrates that perfectly. That even kids who, I mean, I think kids have a pretty strong sense of what they want and what they don't want most of the time, and yet just show them a couple of commercials or colorful boxes, and they don't even know anymore. It's hard to hear your body when marketing and advertising is telling you what to do. So how do you get people to start cooking if they're not already cooking? How do you get them to start using your recipes? I think well, making one of the it things is, oh, is go ahead, Abby. as approachable as possible and giving people an easy guideline of, you know, because I think in this world we're used to, to being given a playbook of here's step one, two, and three, and you can do this. And so that was definitely a goal for us to, you know, think how can we make herbalism approachable to people and in a way that makes sense. So coming back to this idea of here are some tried and true comfort food favorites that you might be familiar with in, you know, in the traditional food culture that we live in, but thinking about it in a way that is engaging with whole foods, plant foods, and and herbs, essentially. Jennifer, what are you going to say? Um, just building off what, Susan, what you were just saying is that I think one of the messages that we try to bring home and root and nourish is that you can listen to your body um, and sort of not, not ignore your mind, but sort of put your mind, like let her be a little bit quieter and let the body sort of speak to you. And when it comes to cooking with herbs and spices, um, we get the question a lot, as I'm sure as here a lot as well, like, well, what's, what's the best herb or what's the, what's the top five that I should be eating all the time? And there really is no answer to that because, you know, all of us have different needs, of course, but all of us have different needs at different times as well and different times of day and different seasons. And so really listening to what your body needs and what appeals to you with your senses, what smells good, what tastes good, what is sort of your body craving and leaning into that without doubt or without trying to understand it necessarily it can be a really um, challenging thing for, for modern people to do. I know that I certainly challenged, uh, was challenged by when I first started cooking and, and eating that way. But once you, once you do and once you feel comfortable with it, um, it's really so much more um, effective. And then afterwards, you could sort of go back and, and think about it and see how it really makes sense, quote, unquote, um, from a nutritional standpoint or even from a an herbalist standpoint or an Ayurvedic standpoint or, or whatever tradition you're following, but 
there there's a, a logic to it, but coming at it from the body first rather than the mind can be um, a really a really powerful experience um, and exploring, having fun, um, sort of playing around and not feeling like there's one right way to do it because, um, you know, as we've been talking about all night, there, there really, literally is no one right way. Um, all of us have our own way, and um, part of the journey of being human is uh, being willing to uh, stumble perhaps and uh, find a way that is the way at, at the moment. Um, I like to think about when I'm having to make hard decisions or, you know, working on projects or whatever sort of comes up where I have to sort of use my my gut or my brain, um, this idea of having a choiceless choice always comes up time and again where it's there are choices and yet there's only one choice because this is what my body is saying is right. This is what my heart is saying is right. And that can be true when it's choosing a partner or choosing a job or choosing what to eat for dinner. And so there's so many different ways to sort of lean into that intuitive uh, knowing. And once we get quiet and sort of step away from the overwhelm of our modern world, that knowing is so much clearer. Jennifer, you live in Brooklyn. How do you do it in the city? This sounds like something <laughs> that you need to live in the in the country to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, one day, it might be in my future, but um, I live in Brooklyn, and it's a very um, beautiful little residential neighborhood, so I'm not in the heart of the city anymore. I used to live in the, on the Upper West Side and um, in Manhattan, and so it was, it was a different lifestyle to a degree, but... Um, the farmers markets are great here, I have to say, and so and I, I live near beautiful Prospect Park, and so I get to enjoy nature in, in lots of different ways. So it is definitely possible in the city. And weeds grow everywhere. That is definitely true. <laughs> yes. It has been so much fun talking to you two that I have forgotten to ask you how shall people get in touch with you? What's the best way to get in touch with you? So we have a website. Yeah. Sorry, Jennifer. It's okay. Go for it. We have a website, um, rootandnourish.com, so very easy to remember. Um, Just the name of our book, and you can find – where to buy the book on that website, um, as well as different ways to connect with us. Um, we also have an Instagram handle. Um, Root and Nourish Book is the Instagram handle. Um, and then each of us have our own websites. Mine is just my name, jennifercordilla.com, and Abby's is thebutterhalf.com, um, her blog. And so uh, if you're interested in learning more about our, our work together or separately, you can find us there. Wonderful. And what would you like to leave in the hearts and the minds of everyone who's been listening to us tonight? It's mm, a great question. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna end with what I started with. Have courage. Show up fully in your story. Yes, and my word for 2022 is beauty. So I hope that everybody here listening tonight. Um, can see themselves as beautiful and to see something in the world 
as beautiful. Thank you both for helping to reweave the healing cloak of the ancients. And thank you for helping me restore herbal medicine to its rightful place as people's medicine. Herbs in the kitchen, you bet. Thank you, Sarah Ellen. Thank you, Justine. And thank you, everybody. Green blessings and good night.